click, click. Do you think you need to have, as a photographer or an artist, do you think you need to have some level of trauma in your life? So my mom died when I was 14. Is it okay that I kind of want people to suffer? What has it meant for photography in the digital age? I'll shoot film, 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 and I'll take up with the digital. Is photography over? But what is real? You would see photographers edit their photos more and more. I knew that they didn't look like that, and I was like, this is weird, you know? Like, isn't someone gonna raise their hand up and go, this could be really bad? It was the beginning of the end. I mean, it's ruined so many people's lives, especially the younger generation with, you know, I wanna look like that. How do your shoots generally work? Be a little strict with the assistant. I was pretending to be a photographer. I was pretending to be a different person, to fit in with what the world was expecting to see. Things have to change or I'm gonna die. What does the term progressive mean to you in the realm of photography? Progressive, uh, okay. So I think... Stephen Butkus is a portrait and fashion photographer who's been with camera in hand since his teens. Through a turbulent and traumatic teenage experience, he gravitated towards the camera to express his vision, his struggles, and his emotions. The lens was his outlet and has since worked with some of the biggest brands and magazines the world has to offer. Sitting with me, it was clear to see this man as a true artist and one that strives to be integral to the art form without compromise or commercial buckle. Having been through his own regeneration in recent years, Stephen now sets his sights on his form of giving back and seeking happiness and satisfaction for others before himself. It's easy to get caught up in the rat race of being photographer, artist, or any vocation. The constant balance of bills against bona fide seems to be endless. The desire to remain integral to one's own voice, but also to work for others and their vision in order just to live. With Stephen, it was fascinating to hear how he reconciled these, and his story of the last two decades with camera in hand is certainly something to behold. We talked all things regeneration, we talked styles, lines that you shouldn't cross, responsibilities as an artist, evolution and progression, and much more. So here he is, Stephen Buckus. Where are you from? Well, yeah right it's uh it's kind of a a question i get asked a lot because like it's it is i grew up literally all over the place um i started out been born in norway and then uh, we moved to uh, south korea and i spent a lot of long time in south korea then we moved on to nigeria and then spent a little time wow. in nigeria then back to norway um and then basically at the kind of ripe age at 16, 17, I moved to France, basically. So, and then from there, it's been everywhere. I've been traveling back and forth to the States, through Europe, and then spending a lot, long time in Asia, Southeast Asia predominantly, and then ending up here in Bali. So, yeah. Travel's in your blood then, clearly. Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, um, I don't know how that happened. I think I was kind of looking at my dad a lot when I was younger, seeing him travel and my my kind of obviously worst memories and fondest memories was was of him leaving and and then coming back because of the toys he was bringing back <laughs> <laughs> but no it was like uh this uh you know i was looking at him as this uh person that had to have an interesting life i was always so curious of what he like when he vanished out the door or like 
you know, I was thinking all these crazy um, adventures or something. And I was like playing this, this um, sort of feel in my head of him traveling around the world. And uh, that became an interest very early on. I wanted to do the same, you know? So uh, um, I think, yeah, right on, right from there for me, it was like really just, yeah, just incorporated inside my blood. And that's what I wanted to do. And I feel most alive when I do travel. I yeah. think, I think everyone should travel a lot, you know, um, and, uh, whatever for, you know, how, with, with whatever means you have, if it's a car or if it's train or if it's flying, get out there and sort of, you know, visit different cultures, see different people, meet different people, get into different situations, sometimes really bad, sometimes really good. But that's where for me, at least that's where the background of my interests of meeting people and shooting and um, creating art or whatever it is, it's because I'm out there meeting new people, meeting new cultures. That's, it's kind of the meaning for me in a way, you know? So, so yeah. How did travel then shape your art and your photography and creativity? Or did, did it at all, do you think? Yeah, I think it, it did in a way where uh, I had to sort of be more open and to to actually communicate with people to actually you know when sometimes when i was traveling like obviously we didn't know the language so you would kind of have to in a way just use your hands or the emotions or the a, a laughter or a shocking face or whatever it was and in that way i started learning very early on how to adapt to communication skills like how do i how, how do i communicate with someone using eye contact or something that had to do with the physical aspect of it, not just language, right? And that in a way started very early on, but then I I kind of gradually understood facial expression. I kind of understood body language way more. So when I actually started shooting people properly, documenting them properly, because in the beginning it was all for fun. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I just loved that I was capturing something, you know, and then that that kind of magic of it but then i started tuning into oh i remember all this 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 way what like okay is he looking that way that means that or is he is he or she resting her shoulders a bit or something and then i could kind of tune into that more you know and then then that translated into me becoming a portrait photographer and i was in love with that then because then i was like hey i know something here you know like i can make them look a little bit different than other people can um, and, um, and it started from there and then from there on, it was like full blast mode on like, this is something I want to do. And I was just, I, every time I'd, I'd shoot someone, I'd look at that and I'd go, holy shit, this is crazy. This is so fucking cool, you know? And I wanted to just be that and do that all the time. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're analyzing my body language right now. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> For okay, sure. Relax shoulders. Um, back in the day, so when you first started, you've been doing this for a while, right? Mm. You started at a relatively, I would say, a young age for for photographers in general. Yeah. Back then, and we were talking off air, you know, remember the time when we didn't have smartphones yeah. and digital cameras weren't really a thing. And back when you started, digital cameras weren't around or weren't quite no, in the mainstream yet? Not at all. I mean, I remember we were invited because uh, I was working for a portrait photographer in Norway at the time. 
Um, that was my mentor, uh, Elpe Lawrence. Shout out to him. Mm. Um, wherever he's in the world right now, I haven't spoken to him in a long, long time. But he was kind of like he was kind of the man for portrait photography in Norway at that time. And he would he would shoot everything on medium formats and full formats and stuff. Oh, and uh, yeah, and uh, so my job was basically. <laughs> yeah, I remember he was. So the thing with LP, he was an old army guy. He'd been he'd been in the army for like 15 years, and he was like a sergeant. And he was, and he started to uh, shoot in the army as well. And he took pictures, and that's how he kind of got in love uh, or fell in love with photography. So when he was done doing that, he had adapted the skills of being very strict and very kind of like everything needs to be in boxes in order. And like, you know, we have call use and it's like 10 in the van and two in the car and like, la, la, la. and when I started <laughs> out as an assistant to that, I had no clue that that was about like photography was like that, you know, because in my mind, we were like, you know, our two little Canon, you know, like uh, 35 mil cameras and just like travel the world with like, you know, I, I pictured a photographer quite different, but it was basically me carrying 500 tons of gear up and down staircases because he had to be on the 10th floor, right? And uh, I had names for all the, you know, the equipments and I, I had Satan 2, Satan 3, like, because it was so difficult and heavy to carry these equipments <laughs> back in the day because there were no, like, there were, there were like heavy yeah. tripods and shit like yeah. that. And he wouldn't do anything. Like, he literally would just like point and say out there. And so... I need Coming, to start doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like, I, I, I think it's an important thing to do. Actually, like, be a little strict with the assistants. Okay. And like, let them, let them feel like they're actually um, doing some work. You know, not just standing around getting a cup of coffee or things like that. So, the the flow would also incorporate me having to be extremely fast on loading film and learning how to use film cameras properly because he wouldn't. You know, on the, on the, we were, if we were shooting someone, he would have like three different types of film, let's say a black and white one and two different color uh, profiles. And then he would just shoot those 10 or 12 super fast. Da, 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 da. And then if I wasn't ready loaded, oh my God, like he would, he would fucking flip out. So I, in, in, in true army, like things were lined up and we were on the battlefield, you know. And there was, you know, and it was just film, you know, load. And then I would just like, and he was like, it was kind of like that being in the trenches, actually, you know, like he was shooting this. And uh, I, I, I remember looking at him when we were doing this and I was like, I want to be like that, you know, like, holy shit, that's cool. Um, and are you like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, there's a part of me that's like that. I'm very, I, people have said to me several times, especially models and, and, uh, uh, clients and stuff like that if they're on this on set they're like you're such a sweetheart but like you're very strict too and i know that coming from also being a chef and worked in the trenches and really you know adapted that kind of mindset where um i have to i don't know be 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 kind of serious about my job i feel like Sometimes when I watch like some BTS stuff or some sort of photographer out there, I, I cringe a little on the happiness on the, hey, we're on this shoot and like, la, la, la. And I know I just spoke about this the other day to, to a colleague of mine. And, I, and I, I don't mean to be, you know, I'm not a grumpy old man, let's say, you know, like, please have fun with it. But it is my job and I'm very serious about my job. And I want 
the people that are there investing in me to feel like that investment is going somewhere. It's not just for fun. And um, when you say investment in you, do you mean clients? You're doing yeah, jobs clients okay. or even time, you know, like if, if I'm doing a project with someone that there's time usage here and I kind of want to get to be uh, uh, someone that has done an over, over delivered in a way, you know, or over exceeding something because I'm very focused and um, serious about what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean that it's not like fun. I mean, I, I hope there's some fun on set with me, you know, like I'm no, but I'm, I, I, I can laugh and have fun, but I'm very kind of, okay, now we go over there and we do that. Not stop the phone stuff, you know, and stop the BTS stuff. And now we focus. And, um, a, a lot of people don't know that and understand that with me, that I can be a little bit like that. So some models will be a little intimidated and be like, see, like, yeah. but then I have a smile. And then my eyes are there to communicate that I'm totally sane. I'm not de doing this for some pleasure thing. I'm just needing to get that image perfect. And uh, yeah, but circling back to LP and and that's that that kind of world. It was uh, yeah, it was like you know learning learning how to use those cameras in that way and. It just made me feel like that's the part, like that's the part of photography that I will always keep with me, and that's why I've stayed analog pr pretty much ninety percent of my entire career. I just never moved on to digital face. So then, when that digital camera came to market, that first Canon camera, I remember we were all invited to this room, and Elpi was there, and he invited me to come. And I was like only one of the few assistants that was allowed because there was only these like pro pro photographers that were allowed to see this viewing of this new digital camera that came out. And it was one megapixel <laughs> and it was such a funny thing. And I was just looking at this and I went, holy fuck, what is that? Like, really? And then and then already there, the discussions were like, what is this going to mean for the future of photography? You know, like I remember they talking about that at that time. I didn't know no too too much because I was still very young and I wasn't really working in the industry properly. So I was just mesmerized by the thing. And I thought if you have that, you're gonna rule the world. You know, like you're gonna be if you can only get your hands on that camera. It was really expensive at the time, but some people did buy it and started playing around with it. And I just I just felt like it was something out of out of this world in a way. It was really, really weird. So back then when you were thinking probably like a lot of us have done with AI now. It's yeah. like what it was going to mean for photography. Now looking back, what do you think it did mean for photography? What has it meant for photography yeah. in the digital age? Right. So I think, I think what happened was people saw opportunity and they lost a little bit of that contact of being in the trenches, being like thinking fast and and um properly about light and about emotion and about the setting and what is the energy in the room now you can just literally at that time people were thinking holy shit this can save a lot of money time and now we can really like instead of shooting three styles we can go from three to 20 styles you know let's say in the fashion industry or if we don't like something we can just delete it and do it again and the 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 sort of um, tension that was in the room when you were shooting with film was shooting with something that was organic, it went digital. Like it became a part of that 
robotic kind of sense in a way, which I never liked. So when I had finally got my hands on a digital camera, I just like never used it. I think it was like a Nikon or something. And it was like, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't communicate with it. And when I was at set two and I was shooting with it, I was just like, it was kind of the opposite of what people do now. They have a digital camera and they'll have a film camera on the side and they'll shoot a lot of digital. And then they take up the film and it'll be like, click, click, like a couple. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to do digital because I'm so scared. Like, what if that shot didn't go through, right? Sounds I'm the opposite. I'll shoot film, 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 and I'll take up with the digital and I'll be like, ah, nah, fuck it. You know, I'll go back to the film. So, yeah. It's whatever you're comfortable with or what you've been brought up with or whatever you've... Yeah. You feel is, I mean, more importantly, whatever you feel is the best format for your, your voice, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It just happened to be that I saw these things happen right in front of me and that was really magical. And I want, so for me, it's always been important for my assistants or the people that work around me that they get that experience as well and see that magic happen in a way. There were like questions are asked where it's like, did you really get that? Like, did you see that? And la la la, like... How can you be, how can you be sure, you know? And then talking with the people that work with me or the people I teach that that is a part of that process. That's exactly why I do it. It's because I get that feeling. Oh my God, did I get it? I don't know if I got right. it, but it, it creates that, that, that magic tension that I need to keep pushing and keeping it interesting for me in the model or the subject. It doesn't feel the same when I get to see it right away. It kind of, okay cool, I got it. There's a confidence there for sure. But it's not really the same, is it? No, it's belief and faith in yourself that you've got that shot. And also a forgiveness where you might say to yourself, oh, if I didn't get the shot, I didn't get the shot, even though that obviously, you know, when there's commercial pressure on it, it's a little bit different, but people thrive off that pressure a lot of the time. Sounds like you're one of those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Rewind a little bit to um, when you first started shooting. So you left home at an early age yeah. to France by yourself. Yeah. And then is that when your photography kind of story started? Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, so I, uh, I, I got into this chef school uh, in France. And at the time, so th there's a little bit of like a family, like a history there that led me sort of into the uh, idea of, of, needing to secure something rather than just looking at photography as an option or art art like i was thinking more as an artist at the time as in and, there was some family pressure yeah like yep. or like so my mom died when i was 14. okay and uh so it was me and my siblings my two sisters and my dad that wanted to move me to hong kong basically to go to business school or to some form of sort of you know expat school yep um Part of me wanted that because I wanted to be like him. Like, or I, I thought I'd pl like please him by doing something that like was of, of importance for him because he could actually do that. You know, like it's kind of a gift for him or a gift from him to me that like, look, I made it. Here's a beautiful, amazing experience for you. Go do that. You know, and then I was like, but I kind of don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I kind of do. So I would say what happened was that my little sister at the time didn't want to move from Norway and she definitely didn't want to split up from me. My older sister, which is 10 years older than me, um, basically um, took responsibility for me and my little sister uh, at the age of 25. 
when I was like 15 and the most kind of <laughs> like I was not a nice 15 year old boy let me tell you uh you know I was just kind of trying to figure out my my ways I think in 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 the most expressionistic ways you know and then uh so so what I what I kind of learned from that was that I I knew that I, so I decided to like, okay, if I'm not going to go there, I need to do something that I'm interested in, something that I'm good at. And food was something that I was just good at. And um, I just understood food. I understood taste, smells, and and uh, just cooking in general. I just had it in my fingers, let's say. And um, and then I kind of, for, for not to let down the family in a way, I decided that that is a good background to have mm. that's like a good education i can become a chef you know and uh so I, I i went to france and i was supposed to go to the army that was because in norway we all have to do this like thing like a year right but i so what happened was like i went there and i pretended i was like a fucking psychopath like i i I'd tell them that like yeah, I smoke weed every day and I really want to shoot a gun. Like I would sit there in that thing and I tell them that. And then like, they were- How I, true was that? That was like, uh, not at all. Like I hated guns. Like I hated okay. it. And I did smoke weed, but I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in it at all. Like I wanted to shoot, like I wanted to uh, do, I, I work with photography or like whatever and uh, make food. That was like, and play music basically. I had no interest in it. I didn't care for the macho thing. You know, I was- a, a very tall, skinny boy that had no real like all all I had was love. No, but I was like just I didn't care for it. Um, and uh, I got yeah. So I was I was pressured to do something by the school, and then they sent me off to France actually to go to this um, this school to become a chef where there was only I think they they took ten students from around the world. And they only had 10 students from France and they all got trained to work in Michelin star restaurants, basically. Um, so it was a pretty big deal to go there. And little did I know that me escaping army <laughs> ended up me going to what I would call an army school because the first day I got there, I was so scared. And I was like, I had no clue what I was doing there. And I barely knew any French. I had passed barely, you know, and people had wanted to go to the school for forever and try it out. I just kind of luckied myself into it by being like, you know, you have to do something in a way, you know, so my school system figured this out. Maybe through a loophole. I don't still don't know if <laughs> no, everyone knows how they pushed me into this. I don't know. got me into that. Maybe there was some payoffs. I don't know. But anyways, um, I got there and then, um, I remember we, we were all, we're living in these like quarters down in a cellar almost like it really looked like a prison. Like, I would say it's, we're in very nice prison, but it was like kind of that style. It was like all these big iron green doors that would lead into the the um, dormitory where we, we, we you would share rooms with two or three other chefs. And uh, I had come pretty late in the evening. It was like six, seven or something. I was super hungry. And uh, <laughs> basically they had a little bit of bread like some some baguette, obviously, <laughs> in the mess hall or whatever. And I was eating that dry, like dry bread. And I was like feeling, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, like shit. And um, yeah, so we go and I get uh, guided down to this place. They lock the door and then the sh the, there's like two kind of like super skinny other boys sitting on the beds. And they're just like 
there and I'm like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, hey, like super scared <laughs> as well. And then right after that, I hear this like, and then like all the lights just goes off. And at nine, apparently they just shut off the generator, no lights. And this is true. Like, and I'm, I always want to tell the story. I go like, I, I think about that. And I was like, this is almost like torture, you know, it's like, like full was, metal jacket. Fuck, so. Yeah. Yeah. So they did that. And I later learned that, you know, they, in a, in a true French tradition, they scared the living shit out of you basically to get rid of everything, to build you up, to become a very, you know, um, structurized and disciplined chef. And it was important. And it was five o'clock, with lights on, boom. And you had to iron your, um, your bed, iron your uh, chef's uniform, your chef's hat and all those things. And they would come into all rooms and inspect. And if anything was off, they would just mess it up and do it again. And then you would be late with your crew. Obviously, I fucked that up all the time because like I just had a problem with authority and I had a problem with like people telling me you got to do this because I kind of in a way grew up without parents in a, in a traditional sense, right? So that father figure, that discipline, I had, had to build myself, you know? So when other people were saying that to me, I would just like, uh-uh. Like, and why? What's the point? Fuck, you know, I would ask, yeah, exactly. I would ask questions. Why does it need to be yeah. like that? You know, I didn't understand that. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that I did. Cause like looking back at that now, it formed a lot of what I now know as having the discipline in my work and the discipline in my life. And I'm using all those things to sort of balance myself when things are rough or when, when I look at something and I don't understand it, I go back to that and I find a way that kind of balances me in that moment, whatever it is, you know, if it's anxiety or if it's uh, some bad stuff that's happening or whatever, I, I, I feel that I can go back to that moment when I didn't understand why I had to iron that creek. Like, that's why, you know? So anyways, yeah. That's where I was at that, like, and, uh, So you did that for, you, you became a chef for, or well, you were a chef for a long time. Yeah, th you? 13 years yeah. I was working in Photography the Photography was kind of, kind of grew throughout that or? Yeah, so always, as soon as I had a chance, I would, I would shoot. So I had my camera there and I would shoot portraits of the people around. I would walk around the village. Did I you would iron shoot. your strap? <laughs> yeah, all, every day. <laughs> and I would be, uh, now, so like. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd find a way to be creative in that. And I would also obviously shoot some, some of the food and things like that. But that didn't really interest me too much. It was people that was like yeah, on, I know that on my agenda. Yeah, I love it. Such, yeah, right? How, this is, this is an in, important question for me, because <laughs> how did you get from kind of traditional portraits, not traditional, but like of people into fashion portraits, mm you know, half naked ladies and mm. that specific genre of, mm. of portraiture. How, how did that come out? Was it through just, a, uh, you know, kind of your big break with clients? Yeah. I mean, so what happened was with that, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I, I was kind of in a way interested in uh, documentary. Like I, I wanted to okay. work with documentary and I was kind of doing that through working with uh, Vice magazine and a magazine mm -hmm. called Not A Dog, which is night and day, which is the equivalent of Vice in Scandinavia okay. at the time or in, in Norway. And that kind of led me into working with artists and, you know, um, different musicians and music in general was like um, heavily kind of, uh, it was kind of the area I was working in. And um, 
because I had and I was I'm in love with with people and how they interact and how they look at things and like I wanted to document that and so so that was an easy thing to be around but then it, I I got some attention from some some German magazines uh, zoo magazine uh, called out to do a fashion editorial and I was like what's that <laughs> like how do I do like well, I'm not even like my fashion sense at the time or whatever what fashion was for me was like oh, but they reached out to you yeah okay yeah from seeing your website or well no from seeing portraiture or or photography through vice or through oh, not through, through, through okay. this yeah okay. so like I've always like at that time been in the like my photos had been in the media a little a little bit um and uh due to the fact that like I was working for Sony and Universal and things like that so I had clients actually at the time but I just didn't know anything about fashion photography and I looked at fashion uh um photographers early on like Robert Maplethorpe and um Mario Testino and Jurgen Teller was kind of my that was those were the three that I was like always looking at so I I'd seen fashion photography I just didn't know how to do that and right. what, I was like do I bring the clothes? Like, I was like, how, you know, stylist. I didn't really. So, uh, I went down and I, and I shot this in Berlin and, uh, you know, there was all these models and there was like this, yeah, there was a stylist and a makeup artist and the people and the things were over here, little law. And I looked at all these things and I was like, holy fuck, this is fun. This is cool. And maybe I can, like, maybe I can use my skill set to like shoot, fashion like mm -hmm. more like a documentary phase mm -hmm. like more like i did when i was shooting uh, artists or people or whatever i was so that kind of was what happened and i did that and i fell in love with how i could uh shoot in my own way in a way but that was where things took a turn for me because at the time the digital era had really begun and retouching was on the forefront so you would see photographers um edit their photos more and more you would see photographers end up in a digital sort of um landscape more than the authenticity of a photo itself you know like i would see things being retouched and i didn't do that and i had no clue how to do that so i stayed away from it for as long as possible and it wasn't until i started shooting for cosmo or like l or you know the whatever other magazines that are were fashion orientated at the time i just couldn't do that because i just didn't um want to retouch my photos in that way so i got kind of in a way pushed aside at the age of maybe 24 25 something like that when i was on the peak in a way i shot a lot of celebrities at the time i was kind of I just finished. I would I did a diff, um a course at a school as well as an art um with art history and things like that as well. So I was kind of getting in there, you know, and got some clients and stuff. And then suddenly things just kind of got on a hold, and my pictures weren't as like let's say as 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 beautiful as all all these other photographers that were like dabbling with the retouching skills. I just. I hated it to be honest. Like I really didn't didn't like it. Cause I felt like it wasn't real. I felt like I knew like so I knew a lot of these models, these young models at the time. 
and I could see the difference. I, I knew that they didn't look like that. And I was like, this is weird. You know, like, isn't someone going to raise their hand up and go, this could be really bad in the long run. This could be really not good for, you know, the people that are involved in this. Um, and I, I even went on a radio show at the time because I'd done some stuff. I'd, um, <laughs> had delivered a, <laughs> Jesus, I delivered a, a, a set of a pictures for a spread for, for the magazine in Norway. And one of the, one of the, the main picture, the, the starting picture of the, that series was me with the film roll in my ass, dragging the roll of film out. And I'd do a self-portrait of myself in the, in the, in the sense of Robert Maplethorpe with the whip in his ass. And I would say it's like, and because I, I thought I was so <laughs> smart at the time, you know. So I was like, "Is photography over?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and then people are just pulling their shit out, and they're like pulling their film out of their asses at this point, you know. That was my kind of thing, and I've so that picture obviously got a little bit of attention, and uh, there was a lot of questions arise by that, and I wasn't smart enough to really understand what I was doing, okay, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I went on a radio show anyways, and I. I stuck my head out and I said, I don't want to retouch my pictures ever. I just don't want to, I mean, by retouching, we got to be clear about what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about color adjustments or basic edits. curve edits. Yeah. You know, like I'm talking about manipulation, yep. manipulation photos. Removing blemishes. Well, that. not necessarily, you know, when I was working with LP as well, we would go in and dust off things, you know, like okay. we would go in and take off, like if someone had a mag like a gigantic sit right in the face, obviously, even the, with using film, we would, we would hide yeah. that in some oh, sort of So you of mean way. like bigger boobs, smaller yeah, waists? Or, yeah, uh, changing body compositions, uh, smoothing penis. out things to a point where things are different. If only. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, for me, I would just, I just never related to it. And I, yep. I, but I, at the time, I actually didn't understand how important this was and what I was actually poking my finger at, you know? And um, Still important today. Very important. Very important. And that's why I think that I'm, 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 I, I stay true to what I've been doing. And, um, and I'm, I'm really happy for that. I'm really happy that I was one of those people that wanted that change. And I wanted it to not go as far as it has gone. Yeah. And you see it in filters and Instagram and TikToks and things like that. That's a normality. beginning of the end. I mean, it's ruined Absolutely. so many people's lives, especially the younger generation with, you know, I want to look like that. And yeah. why can't I look like that? Depression, yeah. loads of kind of issues with it. But what is real? You know, you mm. talked about, you know, you, you wanted your shots to be real. Um, but even your type of photography isn't real, right? I mean, it, the, the photography is real. But what you're shooting isn't necessarily real, especially if you're using models and stylists, styling them in the way they want to style them, you directing them in the way you want to direct them, getting a look you want to write. So none of photography is real. It's the way the artist wants to portray something, right? And that's, you know, a lot of arguments about editing and how much you should edit, how much you're not. When you're actually manipulating something and actually structurally changing something, I think there is a line there, right? Mm. Where, okay, this is a little bit too much. No, Let me look sure. at AI now. So yeah, 100%. You, you can... You can adjust something with AI or you can create something new, f completely brand new from AI mm, with AI. Mm. Where's the, what's okay and what isn't okay. Mm. And I don't think it's as black and white as that. It's, no. it's very nuanced. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. Look at like video, like film, you know, like as well, like, of course there's a, a, a sense of manipulation. There's a sense of 
uh, directing and and all these things. And I think that's a, I don't think that it, it goes to the same limit as actually creating what we, like, okay, so let me backtrack that a little. I'm talking more about pleasing a small group of people in an industry that's predominantly doing it for the money. And if it doesn't fit the bill, it's not approved. And we're talking about like makeup and some form of, you know, selling um, products basically. And it's like, okay, you could argue that Coca-Cola, let's say like and a happy family, like I've shot for Coca-Cola a couple of times. Right. So in many ways, like, of course I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a product of, um, of commercial photography as well. And I've, I've definitely set up scenes that aren't real a hundred percent, but I'm talking about altering people's body and making them feel like they're not worth who they are and looking like that's something that for me crosses the line. You can put a person and put them on the moon digitally fun cool all right we know it's not on the moon but you know but it's like if you start fucking around with little girls tits and asses and eyes and ears and shit like that stuff is going to happen in that brain that's not going to be a good good outcome i think there's a responsibility there isn't there? Uh, is it incumbent on the artists on the producers yeah. on the people who are creating this narrative and this look that they're going to push out there the intent being to sell millions as many as possible right mm-hmm. There's there's a responsibility there that Absolutely. The, the the West especially seems to just go, well, fuck that. <laughs> we just want to make as much money as we want without any fucking care in the world. Mm. Well, look what happens, right? Yeah. And I think photographers and filmmakers and any artist that's part of that also have that responsibility. Yeah. Right? So yeah, well, good for you for standing up to it at the time. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, uh, you know, there's another part of this as well where I do have respect for what I call digital art. I think that you have to sort of make people aware that you're creating art digitally then it's a different thing. If the model understands that they're going to be transformed, there is a narrative that says, hey, we're going to transform you because we're like, we're a makeup brand, let's say, and we want this to become like some crazy looking thing. Well, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's alter you digitally. That's an agreed upon thing, right? Then it's different because I look at some photographers out there that are doing beauty shots, let's say, or beauty photography. And of course, predominantly everything of what you see is not real in terms of how the colors are coming out and the facial expressions and eyes and whatever but it's beautiful to look at you gotta agree like oh my god how did like that's amazing um but i don't think there's a lot of photography skill set in there except like kind of capturing something but generally speaking it is the digital kind of workload that yep. that 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 builds that photo and becomes something new you know yeah and that's a skill that's an amazing skill. And I'm like amazed by it. It's just not my style, but I'd love to watch it, you know? Absolutely. And like like you said, I think the most important thing there is A, in, well, two important things. A, intent. Like, mm. what am I going to do with, if I take a photo of a person, what is my intent with that photo and with the outcome of it, right? But also the managing expectations, being transparent with what goes into it. Like you said, if it's, if it's 90% created by photoshop mm. let's say then say that this is a digital art piece it's not maybe not photography piece or if it is you call it photography then at least you provide a little disclaimer with it depending on how it's used if it's just for personal use mm. it's just, mm. so that didn't they do that i think they 
I think they they did campaigns advertising for this that they had to like especially I think they did it in Norway once. Sorry to interrupt you. I just remembered some billboards and then they had to write down this picture is digitally. Oh, really? Manip- yeah, they tried, but there was a campaign and it never went uh-huh. through because like agencies, uh, commercial agencies and and clients so forth, they were just. They, they would just, okay, then we don't shoot that, you know? <laughs> like, I like to think that people know now. There is yeah. more, I mean, that's one good thi- thing about the digitized world mm. and the, the way we've become such a, small, such a smaller globe, essentially, is that people are more educated on that type. Oh, they know that that's the the cover of L is fucking Photoshop. Yeah. Fuck, right? They know that. And, but, and as long as you're okay, okay, I know that, but it still looks nice. And yeah. I'm going to read the magazine. Yes. Yeah. As long as the magazine's not going... This is a real woman. Every part of her is is is, is exactly how she is. Uh, you can look like this. You know? Yeah, and I mean, look, look. I've, I'm not gonna sit here and like I I know that I when I shoot now, especially in the last let's say last decade too, like the eight eight nine years that I've been working with predominantly swimwear shoots, I choose models that look a certain way for sure. And there's not too much of my personal interest in how how women look. Like my own personal interest is kind of a little bit different, of course, but. I'd know what the industry kind of look for and or or parts of industry, let's say. Um, but um, and I know there's a lot of healthy, young looking women there. And there is some there is some pressure, of course, like like I would kind of hear people say now just me saying I don't retouch. And they'd be like, yeah, but then you shoot only perfect women like they're just always looking so blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I advertise at least for healthy, young looking women. And there is something in there as well for me to say about if it's too skinny or too unhealthy looking i won't do that either or actually actually on on the opposite end of that too i don't i don't want to advertise for too big women either let's say in the plus size genre there's there's a limit there for me as well because it's not healthy and i think that people should be aware of this you know and I'm not scared to say it. Like if there's brands coming out and they, yeah, we want obnoxiously fat women on, on the, the I'm sorry, it's not me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to advertise I think that's that. coming to an end. I mean, I was reading a, a report the other week about um, big, big companies that have actively gone out there to do advertising campaigns for mm. plus sizes mm. and their numbers are, are so bad. They're yeah. having to rethink. It's like, you know, come on, let's join the real world. We all, we want to be equal. We want to give everyone opportunities, but 100%. that doesn't sell. It just doesn't sell. And as humans, we we are at the moment in this time and day, we are more attracted to a, a normal quotation yeah. marks or, a, you know, normal kind of size looking woman or man, yeah. right? Yeah. Same, same thing yeah. with men. No, exactly. But I would always promote health, healthy, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. That's, that's the core of it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's <laughs> right? not necessarily the looks all the time. It's no, just not at all. Health. Not at all. I, I, absolutely. And uh, I do a lot of private shoots and I do a lot of shoots for clients that don't use models in the same sense that swim models look like or, right. you know, those things. And I equally find them beautiful. Like it's not, for me, it's not about that. You know, like people are just so tuned in on something, honed in on, yeah, that's like you only, but no, you know, that's not. It's just a part of it. Hi, everyone. Before I let you continue with the podcast, just indulge me for a few minutes. I want to briefly talk to you about my new brand, Yore. Founded with my business partner and photographic artist, Finn Matson, we are proud to bring you a new artisanal jewelry and specialty coffee brand. Yep. 
what on earth do they have to do with anything? Well, they're both our passions and they've always been another artistic outlet for me now for over a decade. For those that know me, coffee and jewelry have been my other obsession since I was young and I am a qualified SCA coffee specialist. So when I met Finn, some of you might have listened to my podcast with him when we barely knew each other, our love for art and jewelry had a home and that home is Yore. Yore is about the art of intent for everything that we do. Our intention with the label was to add a touch of celestial elegance and artistic expression to our visual narratives. Every piece is a statement, a reflection of your unique story and purpose. It's not just jewelry, it's a wearable piece of art that speaks volumes. Picture this, silver or gold adorned with an actual piece of lunar meteorite, making every piece as unique as the moments we usually capture through our lenses. From limited edition lunar jewelry pieces to finely crafted 925 sterling silver and gold rings, pendants and chains, there's something for all of you in each of our unique designs. We're also committed to the environment as much as possible. Our coffee in our barley showroom is direct trade, organically produced and locally farmed, minimizing impact on the environment as much as possible. Our packaging is all sustainable and our jewelry recycled, other than the moon rock, of course. Proudly eco-friendly in both packaging and jewellery production, you can feel good about looking good. And to top it off, we offer worldwide shipping, ensuring that a piece of lunar beauty can grace your collection no matter where life takes you. And if you ever find yourself in Bali, please come and visit our House of Yore. Our cafe and community-driven art house is a haven for creatives just like you. And before we head back into the podcast, please just take a moment to explore Yore's collection. As a special treat for you, my wonderful audience, Yore is offering an exclusive discount. So head over to our website and use the code in the description for a 10% discount off your jewelry purchase. The link and details are all in the description. So thanks so much for listening and I'll let you get back to the podcast. Now. How do your shoots generally work? Is it the client dictates what they want to see? Or do they give you a rough outline of, okay, here's the, here's the swimwear or here the clothes or here's what I want you to shoot and go and make it look amazing. Exactly. See, I'm, uh, I I think that like, that's probably one of the hardest journeys for me as a photographer is to actually swallow a lot of that (laughs) kind of industry shit that's been thrown at me in terms of we like, let's say classic syndrome is we love your style and then we want you to shoot and then here's the mood board and then there's a mood board from Perrien there's a mood board from Cameron Hammond okay there's a mood board from you know and then I look at that and I go you don't want me yeah you want me to shoot like them because you don't have the money to shoot with that person and then you think that some some things that I do are similar to it and now you want to push me to do something I don't really want to do now what happens generally is that there's money involved I'm a classic guy looking to make a living you know and sometimes pressure is there sometimes it is not uh a, like what people might think sometimes like booked out all the time and la 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 and then sometimes there'll be a client coming on board saying we want to shoot like this and i look at my bank account and i go fuck i need it i need to shoot am i going to just say no no i'm probably going to do it you know and despite of like that mood board or that thing looking like something different. 
And uh, what that has done over the last, like, let's say it's six to seven years or whatever, it has really become a problem in my my own self-esteem, my right. own worth. And I, I'm now finally breaching out of that and um, becoming sort of, um, let's say, Maybe I maybe I adapted myself into becoming a better photographer. Maybe I adapted myself on, on becoming more rel uh, relentless when it comes to like not copying style. But I'm certainly I'm definitely a part of that crew that have done that, you know, up through the years because of this pressure, that like because of that thing where like I'm not good enough or like I want to look like someone else or whatever. And uh, but what that had has done basically is like probably because I've been in the industry for 24 years that I'm old enough to recognize when I need to like, okay, I need to pull away from this. I need to start looking at different ways of doing this. And uh, so I'm like happily now finding that way and finding my own sort of rhythm again and like being kind of like hard on like, this is how I shoot and, and this is how I'm going to shoot it. But lucky for me, it is kind of the style of a lot of the clients that i am working with so i'm getting work and i'm getting things out there but not to say that that ride hasn't been really rough and really like you know con like what's it called? contradicting yeah um and raised so many questions and also anxiety connected to it because like every time like with the pressure of social media you post something and you go is that going to be recognized as some plague or like some some what's it called that word play, 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 plagiarism 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 yeah yeah, yeah or to copy it or whatever. Yep. And I'm super like, oh my God, because like, I don't want to be that person who does that, you know? But it's all okay to be inspired. I'm not saying that you won't, shouldn't be inspired. And photographers have a general, um, I think a general, um, uh, what's it called? I'm stuck on that word. Um, not a re um, responsibility. responsibility to inspire, you know, and inspire sure. younger generations or younger photographers. So whenever some, when I see someone copying my style or copying an idea I had long ago or whatever, I'm just flattered by it yeah. and I'm going to go for it. And it's always going to turn out different anyways. You're never going to be completely what I did, you know, and that's totally fine. But I think in general, it's because coming back to that point where clients are talking to me about what they want to do, they're also safing it. They're not really on the forefront of being creative either because they're just looking at what other brands are doing and they want to do that too. Let's say a swim brand looks at a swim brand that's been shooting with Cameron Hammond for a while. We want to do that too because it sells. All right. And now you have that ball rolling and now you're going to find a photographer that shoots like Cameron Hammond. Right. But yeah. it never really will be like him. You will get something that's like not as good. And then that person that's shooting kind of like him, maybe in my shoes, feeling like I'm not really expressing who I, what I can truly do, you know? you take away that a little. So I feel like it's a responsibility on the brands as well to take a chance on younger and other types of photography and, and photographers to shoot differently. So we can get a really good like umbrella of creativity out there instead of everyone shooting the same fucking shit. That's, in my opinion, on the brands, not on the photographers. Because they're out there waiting. They're out there wanting to do something. So many. Exactly. Yeah. Give them opportunities. I feel like the those newbies or beginners in the space and trying to earn a living from photography or, or even videography, filmmaking, the kind of the, the creative visual arts, 
battle with the problem that you just talked about so much. I want to pay the bills, mm. but I want to shoot what I want to shoot. Mm. And this kind of, this confluence of these really difficult areas to manage, uh, there, there doesn't seem to be a right answer and everyone's different, obviously. Mm. How did you get, you just said you kind of got through it and it was a difficult journey full of contradictions and anxiety and self-doubt. Any tools, couple of tools or anything that you can kind of mm. pinpoint that helped you mm. realize that and reconcile those contradictions? Absolutely. I think one of those um, big kind of changes for me was to actually um, start uh, spending time on self-development. Like I would kind of... Not to bring too much psychology into this or things like that, but I would I, I I was feeling like there was a part of me that was sort of not me. And I was pretending to be a photographer. I was pretending to be right. a different person to fit in with what the world was expecting to see, right? And I did it for so long that I'd forgotten about who I really was as a photographer and why I started shooting in the first place because I was really just, doing what everyone else was doing or at least the top sort of photographers were doing because i i've had a good run like i've done a few you know good big brands and i i make money and stuff like that but in the end of the day i would always like always second guess i was you know in the, that that field so i started thinking about it and i was like what do i need to change here what what when am I going to take responsibility to change? Because I wanted to, I was just, I just didn't dare to. Right. So that was to start looking inwards. And it was like, okay, what are the points in my life right now where I'm using the same mechanism as, as pretending to be someone else or whatever? And that was for me mixed in with drinking and drugs and, um, going to events or hanging out with people that I thought was good for me that it wasn't, you know, and then I decided to like, maybe I should stop influencing or getting myself influenced by this crowd or this thing. And, and I did, and that was so transformable for me because I stopped drinking and I stopped, um, sort of, uh, let's say making myself feel better with, you know, uh, addictions yep. in a way. And that, what that did was suddenly I had the true self in me. Like I would see who I really was because it wasn't really damped down by all this other stuff. And, and only then I could start looking at like being brave enough to start pushing out stuff that I was really happy about because that other dimension was keeping me sort of, you know, drugged out, you know, in a, in a different, like not metaphorically, just metaphorically yeah. speaking, drugged out, but I was as well. <laughs> but yeah, and then the the more honest I became with myself, the less I was worried about what people were thinking about whatever I was putting out or like what I was starting to produce or what I was saying no to. And I'm a firm believer of if you do good in the world and you are honest with yourself, thing the world will make it right for you, you know? Really does. And I that's why I want to say to people is like believe in that. Believe that if you are starting with yourself, that will transcend other other people around you, and the 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 man or the girl you're meeting in the, in the end of the day is a true person. It's not someone that you have pretended to be, and that gives you a lot of let's say 
good feeling about living and good feeling about what you are creating in this world. Because we're always creating. We're always creating something. If it's not photography, there's food or there's uh, what, you know, a painting or some dribble down something or communication with someone. We're always creating something. So um, that was one of the biggest transformable kind of um, things that I've done for myself. Love it. I, I talk about mindful photography all the time. Mm. Photography is just a kind of um, a, appendix to that phrase, more more about the kind of mindfulness. Mm. And not mindfulness in a kind of hippie, spiritual meditation. I mean, it obviously can, can be about that, making it you know, such a huge, um, diverse word. Mm. But when it comes to photography and art, like you have to be, to, to really like be happy, make an influence, do what you want to do mm. and be be okay with mm. it. Not looking over your shoulder, not looking on Instagram going, oh, I would need to be doing that mm. or looking at other artists going, just co- I'm just going to copy that because mm. I feel like I need to be that type mm. of artist. To be able to have that confidence and, and, and peace almost in yourself that becomes that belief that it's, this is fine. Like mm. I'm okay. I'm good at this. This is what I want to do. And if people say they don't like it, then fuck them. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. It really doesn't matter. So I think that's really powerful. And I see so many young artists these days. I mean, we all battle with it, but I see so many young artists these days going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next. I want to do that. I need to do that. I need to be like them and I want to be like them. It's not going to end very well. It's not going to give you happiness. It's not going to give you a body of work that you can say is yours and that you're really happy with. And furthermore, clients see that. Like if you want to work with clients or you want to work with models, you want to collaborate with, with big brands, whatever it is, people see that authenticity. Absolutely, man. They, without even, you know, first impression, subconsciously, whatever, they see it. And that's why they often want to work with people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you think Bali helped you in that journey? Yes and no. I, I, think, um, I think it definitely showed me first and foremost um, uh, an opportunity for me to escape even more in the beginning. Um, you know, let's say in other words, cheap alcohol and parties all the time. And I was mesmerized by that. Even coming from a place where I thought I was like done with that, you know, and that, and, and six, seven years ago. And I was like, but that just dragged me down the full on rabbit hole thing, you know? And, um, so, so in that regards, no, but then I needed that. I really needed to go way on the bottom to realize that I then okay, I need to change now. Like things have to have to change or I'm going to die. Like I'm literally killing myself at what I'm doing. And um I was sort of thinking that I was okay with all this as well, right? Because I was living again like coming back to that. I was living this other person's life in a way that I've been so accustomed to doing because I was kind of prompted into it by being at events and socializing with these people and thinking, I want to be like that. And I want to do this and I want to be that photographer, you know, things like that. So to become that person, I'd drag this mask on and this suitcase of full of shit and I'll be walking my steps, you know, and thinking that, Hey, this is not too bad, you know? And then realizing that it is, you know, like it's, it's slowly killing me and, uh, it had to like, yeah, it was, I, I, it just boom smacked. And then I, and I had to step out of it. And, and then Bali was also extremely helpful because of the, you know, 
opportunities we have here where spiritualism is kind of big, you know, or there's a lot of kind-hearted people here with a lot yeah. of good loving soul and wanting to help each other. And I found that in a way also through one of my best friends, I was dealing with with addiction and, and drug drug abuse and stuff like that as well. And finally got out of that and started in his recovery process and finding each other in that again, which is beautiful and helping each other on that journey, becoming better people, becoming better men. And I am super grateful for him, but I'm also really grateful that I have that community here, you know, that I can lean on that a little and, and use that. So the last years with that in regards, it's absolutely helped me for sure. Awesome. What is the term, I mean, I think we've kind of answered it already, but what does the term progressive mean to you in the realm of photography specifically? Mm. So I think I've been like, someone quoted that I was that, like I was a very progressive, okay. like one of the most like progressive Scandinavian photographers. Okay, I've used that actually in the bio a couple of times. Um, and then I was like, progressive. Eh, okay. So I think that the reason I'm, or th like the word being progressive is that I don't like stagnating. Like, I don't like stagnating in anything. And I think disruption of something is a, uh, uh, a rocket fuel thing for you to expand and be interested in new things. And don't be like, holding back on trying out new stuff, you know? So progressiveness in, in, that, in those terms for me is like, okay, went from portrait photographer to fashion photographer to uh, shooting, um, let's say you could not like, not saying that I'm following my steps here, I'm just saying for anyone else, like, or then suddenly figuring out that I want to do wedding photographer, uh, photography. You can progress into that and become an ultimate wedding photographer using whatever, um, you know, tools that you have learned from before and then progressing into something new. But I think being a progressive photographer is like always trying out something new a little, like breaking your own rules a bit. And, um, you know, if you're sometimes like being really unsure about something is really good and just doing it. And anyways, you know, not leaning back on like, I'm not going to, Oof, no, not going to take gonna the risk. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to take the risk, but just do it, you know? And sometimes what happens out of doing that is that you end up with a result that you're going to be like, whoa, that's awesome. Th that looked really cool. That for me is, you know, being a progressive photographer, not like, you know, yeah. Do you think you need to have, uh, as a photographer or an artist, do you think you need to have some level of trauma in your life to be able to express a story, a belief, a strength, and more of a complex narrative. Mm. I mean, I look at you and and knowing very little about you, but hearing that your mother passed away when you were young, and then you know having a a very broken childhood in terms of you were, you traveled a lot, maybe not have somewhere that you called home, and just having a lot going on as you were developing in those yeah. years. Do you think that has really formed part of who you are as an artist now? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> like not to do what everyone else is doing right now to quote Rick Rubin, but like, you know, with his amazing book, uh, you know, it, it, he describes this very well and he, he finds a way to explain to people exactly kind of that question. Cause I've asked myself that question many times and I've even had conversations with some of my best friends where I really go, is it okay that 
I kind of want people to suffer yeah. a little. Yeah. Because for me, looking back at it, the suffering really uh -huh. made me to who I am. Yeah. And I've sometimes thought about my explanation of my mom's passing and how that influenced me. And I always say this, I looked at her death as a gift. And when I say that, some people will kind of, they, they interpret that and they go, what? And then I kind of explain that the reason I look at it as a gift is that if if her death would would mean anything except or on the side of sorrow and grief and 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 you know it is what i can use in in that to create something new to experience life better to understand people better and if if that didn't happen in that way i it wouldn't pique my interest of those things but i had to open myself up for it like if I look at my sister, let's say it was very different for me. I have has a very different life, you know, creative in her own way, but very little creative. And, you know, in, in terms of, let's say, what we traditionally call as arts or whatever, she's creative mom and she works in, in hospitals and stuff like that. But then looking at that and I go, what does she do as a person? Well, she works with taking care of people that's going to die. That's her job. And you have to be extremely creative. Amazing. You have to have to have a mind that's like you know, and look at that what that what what the death of my mom had an influence on that. You know, so everyone experiencing something traumatic in life is, or sh let's say, should try and look at those experiences as something positive. And then I mean positive. There's nothing positive about your mom dying, but in my way, I would all argue and say yes, there is. Yeah. Because that that makes not only the the life that was lost meaningful, but it also makes meaning for you. You can use it for something. So I so to come back to the question, like yeah, often thought about that, and I go, oh, I um really think that people should have a drug problem <laughs> or lose someone or you know something has to happen for them to sort of dig in and and find something, and then my friend said to me and he's like no man like i don't think that and i'm like why and he's like well and you can't decide what is traumatic and what is uh and a negative experience for someone just because you're peaked on a very high kind of you lost someone near and dear like your mom doesn't mean that that other person if both parents are still alive or whatever hasn't experienced other traumatic areas in their lives like what am I? Who am I to dictate what is a trauma or what is something that are of significant and negative impact? It could be work related. It could be a heartbreak. It could be something very ordinary for me, but it's not ordinary for that person, right? The trick isn't to look back at a traumatic experience. Is is rather to utilize all of the emotions that are kind of put in front of you. And dig into those emotions, be aware of those emotions, and use those emotions. And when you do that, I think creativity sort of e it's it's kind of easier to 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 experience whatever you're making in a more deep and meaningful way. If that makes sense. Yeah, great answer. Love it. What in your twenty four years as a photographer, give or take? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. twenty year, twenty, 20 odd years. like twenty as a yeah. You know, you've you've seen even in a in that kind of two decades, you've seen a lot of change. And 
you know, being able to stay true to who you are, but also evolve with the times, like super important. What out of those kind of experiences, is there anything that's really surprised you in photography? And, and if so, what would it be and how kind of has it affected you, if at all? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think coming back to the whole thing where I think it, a lot of stuff looks the same to me now. Like I feel that's been a big change that has kind of morphed into everyone just accepting it to be like that. Um, and I, and I don't know necessarily how that's going to be like, because like, we don't have to segue completely into AI, but I just feel like there's like this correlation with like, it's almost like it has been, it's, it's been in the making for a long time. And I feel like everyone's kind of been doing the same thing to end up in this robotic kind of way of doing things as, as an artist or like, let's say we'll talk about photography or is it or like commercial photography, but I, I feel like, yeah, like that's the most shocking thing to me that I don't feel like people are like when I look through things, I'm not seeing something fresh. I'm not seeing something that's like, oh, wow, this is something completely out of, like this came in from from left side and I have no clue where that came from. I don't see that that much anymore. Why do you think that is? I, well, <laughs> I, maybe that's a part because we're living here in Bali in a bubble and we don't go to art exhibitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot <laughs> so, of that. Responsibility, you know. Um, but I kind of do as well, you know, I travel a lot and I tend to have my eyes open and my ears open and, and I, uh, kind of look for, for things that are, that, that are out there. And sometimes there is, but there is a little bit of monopoly going on there as well from some of the art photographers that are pretty 100%. huge, you know, they, they kind of own the scene a little. And I think that's really bad. I think that's not a good thing. I think the same happens to be with the brands using the same photographers all the time as mm -hmm. well, you know? And I like that completely puts me in a difficult spot because I'm actually commercializing for saying, open up, use more different photographers, different things. Am I going to lose work because of that then, you know? And I'm like, heck no, like it doesn't work that way. I think the more we open up and the more we include new people and, or new photographers or artists or whatever, the, the more the world would flourish and the better brands would come out of it and better clients and all these things. And there will be only more work, I think. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the most, yeah, that's like kind of like just, yeah, why is no one really saying anything? Why is no <laughs> one really doing anything, right? Like, it's just kind of like, all right, well. Mm. I I couldn't agree more. And some some of the intent behind this podcast was to kind of break those barriers down in my own tiny little minute way, but also to learn for myself. And I think the more people that I think the idea behind social media was kind of that kind of bring people a little bit closer together, mm. expand opportunities for more people. Mm. And I think it's had the reverse effect, mm -hmm. unfortunately, because people create now for an algorithm and it all looks the fucking same because they see something that does well, that gets followers and likes and it gives them their dopamine hit. Oh, I want followers and likes, so I'm going to yeah. do what they do. And it, and it just homogenizes everything. And obviously not a good thing. Yeah. We're not going to talk about social media today because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know the solution in a more digitized, uh, isolated world. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, before phones, relatively new internet, 
going to an art exhibition or going to a museum or going to anything to appreciate, going to an opera or going to a music concert or going to a sports, you know, just these kind of activities to expand the mind a little bit, travel. And now people just travel for content. It's like, yeah. it blows my fucking mind. Yeah, it it's does. like, come on guys. I, and I don't, obviously I don't have the solutions to it, but um, <laughs> I think we that, can keep trying. I mean, exactly. And I think things like this is really uh, important. And like we spoke about briefly earlier about that, starting with your your own community or starting with the people next to you and inviting and like me being here as well. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you are doing this, you know, like you have a voice and you're using it and you're including people that should also maybe have a voice or have been heard at least. And that's so, I'm really grateful for that, by the way, that's really cool. And, um, and I think that's important. And I think I do. So I wanted to briefly say that like what, what I also have become out of me sort of understanding myself better, let's say, or be more honest with myself is that um, I take almost all the pleasure in teaching now compared to learning in a way, I, I, but I learn through teaching, but in my own way, when I was growing up becoming a photographer or like being an artist and becoming an artist or whatever what have you is i was egotistic always i was always thinking what i want and i wasn't really paying attention to whatever people were doing i was like it's about me and it's about what i want to put out there and it's about what means something to me like i would just egotistically think about art like in a way if, if if it makes sense. But if not, I'll try and explain Definitely it. Definitely makes sense because yeah. I'm the same. And then it kind of kind of went around a bit and then I caught up with myself. And then I was like, what makes sense now is that I kind of only want to give. <laughs> like I don't want to produce for myself anymore. I want to produce for others. And then and then saying that I want to the, the, what, I, what I'm creating right now, I want to open up for explanation. I want people to ask questions and I can give the, the answers about it or as, as good as I can. And a part of me then started uh, a mentorship program where I have so many people reach out sometimes or like through DMs or emails even or whatever, and they have questions. And I remember I was egotistically thinking about that when I was young, like, um, like years back and I was like, hmm, that feels good, but I won't do anything about it. I don't have time. I'm not cool if I do, you know, cause I'm not going to give my secrets away. Like, like, yeah. So I was like, like Perrien does that, right? Like, <laughs> oh, he would never, you know, like, and I would like, ex like would, I would make myself into this person that I would be so, oh, I'm in, in loss of the right word to use here, but like, you know, feeling so good about myself that I didn't have time for others, you know? So obviously then bursting that bubble and, and understanding how much power I have with that and how much I enjoy helping people. It's so, so much of my life is about that. So why not in, incorporate it into my workspace and, and what I know and what I do? And then I open my up to uh, open myself up to communicating with these people around the world. And it's been crazy good you know like it's been like we connect over zoom and we sit there and talk about things and most of the time it's like a little bit older men or some in their you know early 20s or whatever and they're just like whenever that that video comes up and their eyes go like and then they go 
I'm like, but it's you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And then they go, you have no idea like how much this means to me, like that wow. I can actually speak to you, that you're there. And I'm like, I know that feeling because I remember there was a time when I had so many questions and I was wondering about things. How do you do that? What camera are you using? Or what film or how do you set up or how do you, where do you even put your camera when you're shooting? Like I had so many questions and I couldn't ask anyone. Like I would just didn't. And I was looking at all the photographers and I was like, with only I could speak to that person. And I will say really honestly back, I don't think that you speaking with me is going to relieve your questions that much because I still have questions now after 20 years or over that shooting. I still have questions when I see photographers. Sometimes I go like, how the hell did I, like he did that, you know, like that's amazing. But I know that the comfort of me being honest with them about things that they, that I once wondered as well and, and, and all they're actually doing is seeking some uh, honesty about like, am I feeling the things that I'm supposed to be feeling? Am I, if I'm this insecure about my photos, am, should I be a photographer at all? Am I, if I'm, if I'm not producing this type of imagery for social media, should I even be a photographer? I'm, I can't get clients. Is that because I'm bad? I, I seem to not be doing my black and whites like you're doing your black and whites. Why is that? Am I not doing it well enough? This insecurity that pops up and all they want to do is have a pat on the shoulder and say, attaboy, it's good what you're doing and keep doing it. You're going to exceed and you're going to change over time, but you have to accept that it's time. It is about you spending time and believing in yourself and not giving up. That's it. You do that, something will happen. And don't give up. And utilize whatever you have around you all the time. Use your friends, family, wife, or, or husband, or kids, or your neighborhood, or whatever. Just like you have shit around you all the time that you can use. It's up to you to like utilize the, the things that are around you. You know, not sit and wait for things to happen. Not sit and wait around for the perfect lighting to come around. What if that gloomy day is perfect? You know, it shouldn't be a sunrise that morning. It should be gloomy. And take that picture. Go goddamn lit out there, you know, and things will happen. And for me to sit and have those conversations with these people, and I can see that that's all they kind of wanted was some comfort. And for me, that means everything. That's like, that's the meaning. And now I'm like, I understand why I'm a photographer now, <laughs> you know? It's not to produce fashion shit. It's not to produce swimwear. It's to communicate with people, to have a conversation about something that is about creating something and creating then insecurity and then having a conversation about that to basically go from one level to a level up. And then progressing, and that's life as well, you know. So yeah, what a wonderful circle for you to kind of come back to being within yourself and giving everything that you've learned over two decades to other people. And most of those lessons, like you've just explained, I'm sure, are just human lessons. Yeah, they're not so much about the techniques of photography. Yes, there's obviously we all need to learn the basic elements of photography, but most of it is. Like you said, that reinforcement, that hopefully expunging a bit of imposter syndrome, just being these people, vulnerable humans 
put through a a medium that is photography essentially or learning a new skill that's all they're doing mm. Fuck photography they're learning something new like and, and to be able to be that person that they can get a pat on the back from must be extremely extremely powerful extremely meaningful and extremely purposeful i think that's um that that's amazing yeah one of the traditions we have on on these uh episodes is uh i ask a question from my previous guest who wrote a question for you um i i'm not sure you have much more to say but i'm sure i'm sure you do um his question was what what would you like to say to the world wow um oh my god i guess that can be interpreted in metaphorical yeah. literal ways or um i'd like to say that um it's probably the most important time if not yeah of all times to come together on a non-digital way i think seek out um near and dear friends families and whatever and 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 start having conversations again face to face um learn how to communicate with one another again i think is probably the most important thing that we have to do right now and um, be there for each other and support each other in, in a difficult time and in a, in a, in a, un, um, in a very abstract, weird world we're living in right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that we're humans and remember that sometimes, you know, like by, by communicating and not over SMS or I say SMS still, I don't even WhatsApp know that people, whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, text message, chatting on yeah. the phone, you know, MSN messenger, uh, yeah, MSN, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think doing that, like Beautiful. reach out to your nearest and dearest and, and talk more. to them. What does the future look like for you over the next year to five years in in the space um i am going to uh concentrate way more on mentoring mentorships um doing probably more collabs with people with artists um i want to focus a little bit on pr producing some form of school um and i want to yeah like when it comes to kind of workshops in general it's more like um yeah like a school-based system probably i, I want to do that and then um i am looking forward to more travels yeah cool <laughs> yeah well last question is a lucky dip yeah conversation count question so all right i'll, I'll give you the choice face down to pick any card you want. Pick okay any card, any card. i was just i was looking at yeah. that one am i gonna read it out? i'll read it for you okay <laughs> all right here we go yeah if there was one singular idea that had the most profound impact on your life, what would it be? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, being honest. Being honest. Yeah. That's not an idea. Yeah. Is I it? think, yeah, because like, well, look, look, um, I think that people have a, have a very, um, uh, let's say, uh, what's it called? Like the honesty itself, I think people have a sort of imagination of how what that is and an idea of what honesty is i think that honesty is like you have to be true to yourself first like you have to sort of understand what how you are viewing the world first so you can kind of then like okay i i, I get this now i can kind of like 
go out into the world in a way and have a meaning or say something. And I think um, the idea is that if you are honest with yourself, you are going to act kindly towards the world that is around you. Because like the it starts with you. I think for me, it's like an idea. Let's do it. You know, like that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you've you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've convinced myself on it a little. I was like, hey, that sounds like a no. But I, yeah, I'm a big um, follower of Sam Harris. Do you know Sam yeah, Harris? Yeah. Um, he talks about honesty. Like his his. So he has some undercurrents throughout everything he talks about or writes. Um, mm-hmm. He wrote a book about not lying essentially i can't remember what the book is called but um he talks about just being honest yeah. with yourself all the time everything starts from there yeah everything you 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 generally just can't live a good happy life without being honest to yourself first and then honest to other people even your children i mean he battles with that a lot and when they ask questions he can't really answer and but i i couldn't agree with you more and i think it all begins there. Absolutely. Everything begins Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more even. Uh, yeah, like what are you saying? I think Sam Harris is a very important voice out there. And I think, yeah, I, I hope that he reaches way more people as oh, well. I, I'd Such love to see his name. figures because I always listen, I listen to pretty much every one of his podcasts. I'm a bit of a silly fan actually, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's just one of the few people that talks a real sense mm. in the world without too much faff and a lot of his podcasts can be deemed as boring because it's quite monotone but you know there's yeah. he doesn't succumb to that kind of shit i i think it's such a beautiful combination between actually actual knowledge about neuroscience and he has done his you know due diligence on that but then also spending time in the spiritual realm and yeah. learning how to meditate or learning basic human sort of um emotions and those two that two those two, those two skill sets are amazing oh. and that's so that's so empowering as well and then on top of it all he i think you know he has a good understanding on how to communicate that out like he has learned how to give give us stupid people let's yeah, say a chance speaker, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 right so yeah. i know i love 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 um yeah. seminars well I've loved this conversation. Same. Thank you so much for for joining us. It was um, hugely interesting, hugely profound, certainly listening to your story through so much and how that's come to what an amazing artist you are today. So thank you once again. Um, the pleasure was all mine. And I wish you the you best so of luck with your new endeavors and I'll keep watching this space definitely and maybe we'll get you on again sometime. Thank you. I would love to. Absolutely. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank cheers. you. Yeah, cheers.